0: Yeah, I think, you know, what I like to do is I like to go experience spirit in other places and then come back to my own, either come back to Jewish prayer, Jewish study, Jewish communal uh, prayer services, and then I go look for those things in my own tradition. And more often than not, oh my God, there it is, it just pops right up you know a concept that I didn't know before was even in my tradition so so I have to have a place to go for that to happen um I do but I'm also sensitive to the fact I know somebody at the you know at the at our in-person brew theology night um somebody said do you have to have one (laughs) there was a woman that said it too or was it oh, maybe both of you. Um, but you know, do you have to have one? And uh, it's tempting, and I think I said ultimately yes, um, but I but everyone's got their own life path. You know, I certainly had years of my life where I wasn't connected to Judaism in particular, and I was exploring other things, and you know, and if someone had told me, well, you're just going to get nowhere that way you better get yourself down into you know your own faith tradition you know it's like that would have gone nowhere yeah <laughs> so i th- i think you know people like me have to sort of step back and respect everybody's path um and say you know there's things i don't know there's things i don't understand um and i you know i can't i can't tell you you know, what you should do. I could listen to you and 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 if you have questions, offer suggestions maybe if but then I have to be really careful about the suggestions because are the suggestions coming from my ego? From, you know, are they coming from a real compassionate listening?
1: I I actually really appreciate you saying that because I remember when you had talked the other night, that was probably my My one main question, because I found myself leaving the church or my tradition that I grew up in, and and the only label I could come up with is agnostic at this point. And um, I feel a a sort of solidarity with others who who also don't have a faith tradition, Um, and I don't at this point in my life, I don't feel the need to to attach to a well or even go. I never absolutely go back to the one I came from, but um, I, I appreciate the humility and and you saying that because um, it really is a tough thing when you you don't know where your faith is. Like you know, like you feel deep down that there's something, but you don't feel any sort of kinship with anything.
2: But I would say that my experience of you is that you still have a map. Mm. So like if I were to, if I were to write down a picture of what, you know, our interactions and what we've talked about, you have compassion on your map, you have family on your map, you have community on your map. And so you may not, maybe you don't have the holy book part of your map Mm. right now, Mm. but I am sure that you have some rituals that you practice with people that you care about and love and that you do certain things that bring you joy and um, enlightenment and connection. You listen to a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. and that's, um, you know, you knowledge is tapping into one of those things. Like I, th- you have some, and, and you have some highways that go back to yeah. my old well, mm. and maybe there's a highway that I don't know where that goes. I haven't done yeah. that yet, but I, I don't, I don't think at least for your experience and for some of the other agnostics that have come to Brutheology, I don't think you have no map and I don't think you have no belief. It, it doesn't look, it's not rooted in, it's not rooted in something coming from other. Mm. It's rooted in, in your experience and that's where you are and that's valid.
1: So I, and I appreciate you saying that. And, and I actually would say that what, what maybe you're sensing is my connection to the river, not the Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Because that for me, that's why this is, this metaphor is so powerful because when I thought of the underground river, I thought of the thing that connects the religions, the, those, those bits of compassion that, that drive people to want to be compassionate that drive people to want to give grace to somebody who's messed up that, that those aspects we we like to when we're from those wells we like to associate them as okay that's part of the well but for me i think i came to this point of yeah. realizing that actually it's the river that 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 comes from that 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 that, that water yeah. comes from and so i was i that i guess that's why i feel um, disconnected from the wells and maybe i'm you know maybe i'm just taking this metaphor in a different no, way no. but but that's that's kind of um, where I feel still nomadic, but yet able to come to a group like this and be a part of a group like this and talk with people who who are rooted in different faith traditions and still find kinship because we all are still getting something from that same river, yeah. you know, and because and for, for me, the river is what... Pushes us to be compassionate. What pushes pushes us to be that change in the world that is actually very similar in most religions.
0: So it's, it sounds to me that you right now have your own well. You know, you are connected <laughs> to the river,
2: or you're finding saplings and tributaries and little yeah. streams in wherever you're sitting right now. Yeah. that are giving you access yeah. to that. Yeah, and yeah. and I
0: trust that. Or you...
1: maybe I'm just riding on an inner tube on the uh-huh. river. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: You well. got the beer. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, you will... I really trust that you either already have or you will find your way. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you sound like, you're, like you're, you have that connection to spirit. You've got that. Interestingly, um, one of the quotes in the handout here, um, which you, you guys were almost quoting just now, says, this is from... Uh, uh, This is from a description of Deep Ecumenism on the Aleph website, which is the uh, Jewish Renewal website. It says, Deep Ecumenism rests in part on five spiritual truths that Jewish tradition nurtures and knows well, and not just Jewish tradition. Generosity heals the world. I think you got these things. Hospitality makes for peace. Triumphalism and arrogance divide us. Fellow travelers must be cherished and treated with dignity. And change is inevitable.
3: inevitable. This reminds me. We mentioned the, the name Tony Campolo earlier. Big time evangelical evangelist turned. He's always a bit progressive because he was a social justice warrior. And his son Bart was following in his footsteps. Bart Campolo did, uh, founded Mission Year. And then he has a bike accident, has this awakening afterward, and he becomes atheist. Now you can find Bart on his own podcast doing secular humanism work but he and his dad did a movie together that we actually we watched as a community last summer what's the name of the movie I'll think of it later and and he's talking to his dad and he's he, his dad's struggling cuz you know this is this is his legacy this is his son and when he told his dad I left my faith you know Tony was in tears and didn't know how to handle it luckily he had his wife to say remember your compassion okay <laughs> and and so finally, here it is. It's Leaving My Father's Faith. It's a documentary based on a book they wrote together. And they figured out how they can still be father and son and respect each other's ministries. Because Bart still does ministry. He, he was a chaplain, a secular humanist chaplain in California at one point. And so he, he told his dad, he's like, Dad, listen. He's like, all the values, all the, the, the goodness that you gave me in, in, in the Christian tradition, he's like, that's still who I am. Because you're afraid that my kids are going to be raised in a in, a, in a, this crazy atheist way. He's like, no, like, that's still, that the same truth is embedded in who I am as a human being that loves my wife and kids and you, dad, and all the people that I've ministered to throughout the years. None of that's ever changed. Mm-hmm. So what you had just said, this quote, and Josh, your experience, right? Generosity heals the world. Hospitality makes for peace. This arrogance and triumphalism, it divides us. Fellow travelers must be cherished and treated with dignity, right? Change is inevitable. And that, so his Bart's experience and your experience, I think all of us, it's inevitable. We're going to change. But these values, the common good, what we could even say in our Christian tradition, gospel, good news, good news doesn't change. It's not bad. If it's good, it shouldn't. Maybe we've just got the good news in the wrong package at times. Um, however, I think that. Maybe, I mean, Bart would probably would not agree with some of these analogies and metaphors now as an atheist. I don't know. Maybe we should have him on the podcast and see.
2: You but ask him. I,
3: I could. I could do that. He's on Twitter. <laughs> Bart, we're going to ask you. But you have a father and son who, uh, yeah, different paths, different wells, but it's the same river.
0: So something that you just said made me take another path, which is, this has come up in a few conversations for me lately, where it's been important for me to point out that a minority experience comes with some different baggage. Um, so, and I described that night um, another um, gentleman that that um, I, I I know his name is Yossi Klein Halevi. He's a great journalist. And thinker, and he lives. He grew up in New York. Lives moved to Israel like forty years ago, um, and he describes in the introduction to uh, his first book, i um, Sitting at the Gates of the Garden of Eden." Um, uh, the rest of the title, something like, um, "Searching for God with with uh, with my Christian and Muslim, you know, relatives in in the Holy Land." Um, but he describes how growing up in New York. Um, in a family of Holocaust survivors, in a neighborhood filled with Holocaust survivors, how their view of the world was, we do our Jewish thing, it's everything to us, the rest of the world really can't be trusted, so we're going to circle the wagons, and we really want nothing to do with the rest of them. There's nothing out there for us. It, it would be dangerous, and it's just not worth it circle the wagons and that's how we survive and then he moves to Israel where all of a sudden he's part of the majority instead of the minority and he says over the it it sounds like it only took a few years for his sort of it's sort of get rearranged the molecules of his being and no longer did he feel like I have to protect myself or my people I I don't have to circle the wagons um and, that he, and that's where he started his search for God and other faith traditions. So um, I think we've got to be careful when we talk about this stuff and be a little bit sensitive to, um, to minority faith traditions. They might be feeling not so open to this and for good reason.
2: But it's so helpful when they're willing to come to the table, because I think that the only way that majority traditions are going to learn and are going to become humble and walk into this with them is when they're there.
0: Yeah, so I think they need to be humble. I I also shared a story that night about um, being at a Three Fires gathering of Native tribes in northern Minnesota, Um, I recently, um, with one of, um, somebody I know, um, who is a native American woman and I asked her, um, there's a group of, of men and women actually, but men are running it, um, um, who are doing traditional Lakota sweat lodges here in Colorado. Um, and most of them are not native people. And I asked her what she thought basically of white people very respectfully but doing sweat lodges yeah and it it upset her yeah and she was like i don't that should not be happening i don't want that to happen it's disrespectful no one should do that now i could argue with her that and i certainly have had experiences in native communities with people who, there are a lot of people in the Native communities now who know that we need white people to understand what our traditions are about. We need them to understand our connection to spirit and Mother Earth. Yeah. We need them to understand our faith traditions so that they can actually be allies and us not being completely wiped out. Um, but for her, she couldn't go there. And I just had to back off and respect that and say, okay. Um, but as I as I, I'll repeat from what I said at the in our in-person gathering, um, essentially a native elder said to me that we're used to white people coming and ripping off native culture and, and then going away and not giving us anything. And there's nothing, there's no exchange. There's Mm -hmm. nothing that's coming back. Um, and so, and I think it's just very easy to, um, not be humble, basically to not be aware. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, experienced that in Toronto in the sense that I grew up in Michigan and so then the Native Americans and indigenous peoples that were at Parliament um, many of them are from the tribes that I grew up learning their stories and learning about how they you know carrying papooses and wearing snowshoes and like I learned the history of it and I learned how the missionaries came in and how they did trade that was, With the Great Lakes there, that was a lot of... We actually did learn that in elementary school of like how trade worked and how they negotiated those relationships. And so I had that level of knowledge, Um, but to listen to the spiritual sides of things and to, to be allowed to see that was a whole different doorway into that. And then the other side of that was just seeing how the Canadian people have been so um, thorough in trying to reconcile what they did to Indigenous peoples or First Peoples and um, how they're trying to reconcile that in their current, present 2019 culture was like, it, it almost like makes your breath pause because they have done so much hard work. So... In Canada, they went around, and I, this is before podcasting probably, but they took mics and they went around and they asked the, the First Peoples to tell their stories of what it was like to be in the schools and what it was like to go through re-education. And, and over time, as they built relationship, people were finally willing to share those things, and they found out horrible things, the horrible things that had been done to First Peoples and so they worked really hard to then start educating Canadians about what have we done to the First Peoples. And they have a three-volume um, report. And I mean, these books are like 9 by 11, at least an inch thick. There's three of them. They, they brought to the Parliament this display that tells you the stories of, of when um, all of these horrible things happened. And um, they, all, they let us um, say prayers or offer prayers or blessings for the First Peoples. In contrast to, um, I was just down in New Mexico with my family and going up into an old mountain town where one of the things that we pass on the way to my friend's house is a Native American school that is boarded up and sitting by the side of the road in this tiny little town and and as North Amer as, as United States Americans we have done nothing and we continue to not tell the story and we continue to not reconcile and we continue to push them aside and not see them and I guess all of that to say like we don't deserve their stories, the way that we've treated them. And we don't deserve the stories of the indigenous Mexicans and South Americans that are coming up with the way that we're treating them. And so um, we're, we're kind of creating cul-de-sacs where we're, we're, we're cutting off a piece of the river and we're letting it get stale and getting... LG and all that stuff because we're not willing to let some of that in and we're not willing to do the hard work of reconciliation to to find out what's there and what's available um I don't know if that made sense it's just really struck me the two ways that we have dealt with those they're almost identical issues and and what that meant in Toronto is that we got to see into something that it was amazing and and they were willing to show up and we were willing to listen and um you know are we practicing that here where we live
0: i think you just said it it's like can we as opposed to you know we don't you said we don't deserve these stories so what would it be like to say i get it that i don't deserve this but i'm willing to listen yeah and then see what happens. Go from there. Do we need to talk about, to, you mentioned Toronto a number of times. Oh, yeah. Do we need to say what that was?
2: Well, so a lot of the <laughs> listeners, they've heard Janelle talk about the parliament a lot. So they probably what are you talking know. About? I've never
3: heard of this parliament. You, I, I am really confused right now. <laughs> First time listeners are probably like, they what, probably what is Toronto?
2: So in November uh, in Toronto, Canada was the parliament of the world's religion. It's the largest interfaith. Meeting around the world, it happens randomly, sort of. Um, but there were over eight thousand people there, a um, hundred and a hundred countries and religions, and so it was. It was this very multi faith interactive experience, not only at the Parliament but also being in Toronto, which is the most um, multicultural city in the world.
0: So, in a sense, I hadn't thought of this at the time, but in a sense, being at the parliament is an experience of deep ecumenism. Yeah. Because it's everybody's coming, bringing who they are, their stories, their wells, whatever you want to use, to this place with a tremendous openness to sharing it with whoever wants. Yeah. And, and first of all, there's more religions represented than you could possibly connect with in, in a week anyway. Yeah. You couldn't get to them all. And some of them you might feel... Like I, you know i'm just I'm not sure I want to go there, but there's plenty that you can and and everyone the the this I've been to two parliaments now, and at each one, the sense of safety and honesty and openness yeah um, and just desire to learn and experience i I've never had that kind of experience anywhere else um, and talk about you know. I don't know, maybe it's a Jewish thing to talk about safety, but um, <laughs> I, I will never forget at my first parliament, you know, and I was at some session in one one of the smaller rooms that only had maybe 100 people in it, and, um, and at, you know, and I was sitting near the back and I wanted to go talk to somebody near the front at the end, and I somehow left my backpack on the chair in the back, and then I thought, oh, you know, come on, I'm from Chicago. You don't just leave your backpack somewhere <laughs> and expect to get it back. But I realized in that room, no one's going to take my backpack. Because mm-hmm. everybody here is connected to spirit. And we all know what that means. You don't steal somebody's backpack. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that would be so bizarre if that happened. And I don't, I mean... I don't know. I've not heard of anything like that happening at either of the parliaments.
2: No, it was interesting you say that because I saw backpacks and stuff sitting around the convention center abandoned. And I'm like, are they nuts? Like, cause I'm a very <laughs> backpack oriented person. But, but like, yeah, there like for the women, there was the red tent. And so right. you were welcome to take your stuff in with you. But a lot of people just left their backpacks outside the tent when they went in and, it didn't bother them and nothing happened. And I mean, that is that basic safety is a big
0: deal. Right. So it's a basic safety with a bunch of people who are not coming to blur the boundaries and pretend they're not who they are, Yep. who are just saying, you know, I, you know they're coming with, uh, with, with roots in a tradition, right? most people who are coming there. And so maybe, and this is another gift maybe of this conversation, is that part of the experience of deep ecumenism is a deep level of trust.
2: Well, and with that, so uh, for, for me being female, that meant that I, one of my friends that had been instructed me, you need to have a scarf with you at all times. And you really should probably have either a sarong or a piece of cloth that you can put on as a skirt if needed, which as many of you know, if you've listened to me, I'm extremely feminist. And so there's this natural desire inside to be like, hell no, I'm not doing that. But at the same time, to walk into that space and to be trusting with each other, um, in this context, it is not going to hurt me to put on a scarf so that I can sit in the room with the Sikhs and listen to some of their most premier musicians in the world. This does not do me harm, and it does not harm anyone else. And so, like, I think that there was a piece of that that caused me to shift a little bit to say... What I believe is very important and I can still continue to advocate for all the things that I think are critical about equality and women's rights and oppression. But I also had several conversations with women and they have chosen that and it's very clear. That is, they are educated, that this is a choice they're making, and they believe that it is part of their equality. And so I can choose to participate in that if I want to. And so I think that that's also a piece of deep ecumenism that maybe you only get through experience. You might have to lay something down to enter into this space that you value very highly. It doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite. It means that it's more important to you to have relationship and to build bridges than it is to to hold on to that thing in that moment, because I promise you that, I mean, my, that, if, that any conversation I had, n- no one there would be angry at me for saying, I really don't like covering my head. It's not something I believe in. It's not something that I would ever promote. But I don't think if I said that to some of these women, they would have any problem with me voicing that. But I only get to say that if I'm willing to cover my head. And, and that's very personal to me. That's very, that's, it's part of my journey out of the church was reading some stuff about that and fighting down the walls of purity culture. Um, but in the, I did not feel that I was, my beliefs and my commitments were threatened because I chose to wear a headscarf in that setting.
0: I like Janelle how you said, maybe I have to lay something down. In order to enter that space, Um, and it reminds me how, again, I don't, I don't, I I imagine this is different for for you guys raised Christian. Um, That it's like, I don't know if you were told that it's problematic for you to go into a house of faith of another tradition or not. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Okay. You oh can't, yeah. You can't go there. That's okay. where Satan lives. Yeah, we okay. could get possessed. Okay. <laughs> so it's okay. So it's somewhat similar. <laughs> um, you didn't know it was that intense, did you? <laughs> I definitely got a clear answer there. <laughs> um. So for. So for. So it's similarly, for Jews to walk into a church, to walk into a mosque. Um, to as I as I said the other night, to to walk into a church and actually walk up to the communion rail and get a a um, blessing from the priest, to walk into a mosque and and bow head to the ground, um, I had to let go of bel- things I was told, beliefs, a sense that this is wrong, in that. In that service in Hartford with the uh, at the Episcopal Church, I spent the whole service arguing, because the rabbi next to me had arranged to go up um, at the communion and to get a blessing from the priest. And, you know, he wasn't taking communion. He was just getting a blessing from the priest. And they had discussed it beforehand. I knew none of this until I got there. I spent the whole service arguing with him about whether you could actually do that. Um, and then he went up and did it. And then I went, Okay, I'm I'm in Hartford no one in Denver knows. <laughs> um but I yes, so I had to it's like and the story about Reb Zalman when he meets uh, Howard Thurman and Howard Thurman asks him uh, you know when he, when when Reb Zalman when he was young wanted to take a class with la you know a spiritual whatever class with labs um and he didn't know if he could do it or not and Thurman says what are you worried that your spiritual anchors aren't long enough?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I realize that we that we all um, we want to believe that we are open, that we want to believe that we we can hold true to whatever values or beliefs that we think are true to us in whatever particular setting we are in life. However, where do we draw the line? Where Where is that point where? I can go to that Episcopal church. I can go to that particular mosque right. or that Jewish synagogue temple. But do do we? I mean, I think humans do have limits, and I'm I'm curious within deep ecumenism, where do we say no? That that's not a well that I'm I'm willing to. I dive think you into. need to.
0: I think you absolutely have to be sensitive to that. I think you know. In your example, Janelle, you could have said, "I'm not. I'm not ready for this. I'm not willing to do this. I'm not going to do that." And that's, you know, that's where you're at right now. And it's fine. And maybe it would have been wrong for you to do that. So I think, I think you have to.
2: Well, you shared your story about, um, learning prayers at the mosque. Right. And how someone led you through that and taught you. But normally people would not do that. Like if you were visiting, you would not be in the midst of the men's prayers.
0: Well, I, ever since then I do. Yeah. Um,
2: but I think Ryan didn't hear that story, yeah. so if you want to share that a little bit.
3: And our listeners have never heard it. Uh, okay. So that, by the way, listeners, I'm sorry, Facebook Live was not working. I was absent, so this is new to me and you. <laughs> there we go.
0: Okay, but I wanted to go to this other story um, that, oh, okay. ho- that hopefully I won't re- <laughs> Two forget. Two stories in one. Um, yeah, let me, let me back up first. Let me go where I wanted to go first, um, which kind of comes out of your question um, about um, is there a place where you say no, that I'm not going to go there. So the first, the second time I went to the Nain conference, North American Interfaith Network holds a conference every summer. Um, this one was outside of Kansas City, um, probably 10 years ago at least. Um, and there were many faith traditions there, much smaller than the parliament, but there were many faith traditions there. And each one had a time during the the four or five days that we were together, to share some ritual prayer experience, something or other. And the rule was was so interesting. So the idea, the rule was, you know, for a group to, to present, you know, a morning service or a sunset service or whatever, um, or some prayers connected to something, they had to be open to other people coming, and that other people could choose either to participate sit with the practitioners and try to follow along, or to sit outside and be observers, which I found a brilliant setup. So there were some things I went to that for one reason or another, I decided I I wanted to be an observer and I wanted to watch it, maybe because it just felt way too foreign for me to just jump right in and be in there. And then there were some things I just thought, what the heck, I'll just jump in there and be there. and then and then um, the one of the, the last one that I remember that the, the Wiccans were doing a, a ritual out on the labyrinth. Um, and I I was clear that I was gonna be an observer. <laughs> I was not gonna be participating in that. <laughs> and 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 then I and we got out to the labyrinth and, and it was a hot, you know, it was in the summer, it was hot, and um, about a we were on some like a college campus or something, and about a block away up on some stairs going into a building, I see like four or five other rabbis. They're watching, but they're a block away. <laughs> Their and, anchors were and, short. <laughs> and, I, and then I get, and, you know, so I'm fully intending to just watch, not participate. Well, the, local, the, the Wiccans that were running this were from Kansas City, and they, most of them weren't part of our conference, and they didn't get the message. And they didn't offer for us to sit outside. They just said, okay, everybody, now come on out to the labyrinth. And I had this moment of, uh uh-oh. Okay, (laughs) I don't care about those guys. Um, And if I feel something that feels sort of spiritually wrong to me, I'm an adult, I can step out and walk away. But I will, I'll go out there, and we'll see what happens. Now, I would not have planned that. But I went out there, and again, I fully expected that they're going to do something that's just going to feel too against my basic beliefs, too weird, and I would, and I would walk away. There was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's earth-based spirituality. Yep. It's not... Worshipping some weird idol or something—it's earth-based spirituality. Can do I believe that spirit runs through through this earth and that I need to pay attention? Of course, I do. Blew my mind. So, so um, I was, but I was, but I like this. So, I think it's important that we feel that we have permission to be observers, and then it's up to us to decide when we want to jump in.
2: And I think it's important for us to name. I love what you said. You said, I'm an adult. I can walk away. And I <laughs> right. think for a lot of us, like the in our teenagehood, we were given a lot of these weird warnings. And right. so those seem like they're permanent forever. But like the truth is, I'm an, I'm an adult. I'm another human being. If I feel uncomfortable, I can leave. Right. If I feel like I don't belong here, I can step away. But that doesn't mean that like, I'm going to get possessed in that instant and won't have choice for the rest of my eternal right. destiny.
0: That's the weird theology that we all got given by yeah. people who were just hell-bent on scaring us.
2: Right. <laughs> and didn't want us to experience the joy of this and right. the beauty of sharing in other people's experiences.
0: Right. And I haven't become a Wiccan. No. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so what was the story I was supposed to tell?
2: Um, about how you learned how to do Muslim prayers.
0: Oh, so we were, this was at um, a wonderful program at Hartford Seminary called Building Abrahamic Partnerships. It used to be twice a year. I think it happens once a year. I highly recommend checking it out. They bring Christians, Jews, and Muslims together for a week to live and learn together um, on their campus. There's They were, I don't know if they still are, the only um, Christian seminary that... that um, was offering a degree in Islam that you can actually, you know, be a Muslim and come and learn to become an imam there, I think. It's, a, it's an amazing program. But anyway, and, and it was run by a rabbi, um, Yehazkel Landau. Um, but, um, so at the end of the week, so we were there, like, you know, from Monday through Sunday, I guess. I think it was a Monday-to-Monday Monday, uh, program, and... Um, at the end of the week, we were gonna have experiences in each other's houses of faith. So Friday was the experience um, at the mosque. That was the, you know, Saturday was at synagogue, Sunday was at church. Um, and and we got to learn with faith leaders from each tradition. So a wonderful Imam, Imam um, Hendy from George Washington University and the Naval Academy. Lovely man, shout out to him. Um, he taught on Thursday and Friday. And, and one of the things that, was, that changed my life, I had, I think I shared this, that to me, Allahu Akbar, up until that point, was something that crazy Muslims said when they were about to kill some Jews or other people. And I could not, there's no way I could say that and feel comfortable. Um, and Imam Handy taught me that, that it means God is great. And I realized, oh my God, can I say God is great? of course I can say God is great. Do I um, Do I want the terrorists and the crazy people to own God is great? No. So all of a sudden, it's like, hmm, maybe it's not such a bad term. Anyway, so um, on Friday, we're going to go to a mosque, and they're preparing us Friday morning, and um, someone asks, oh, and um, Ingrid Madsen was also one of the teachers. She became the president of... ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America, she was, she's a Canadian woman, um, lovely, lovely teacher. Um, somebody asked Ingrid if it would be okay for us to join the prayers in the mosque. Um, you know, we were men and women. And, and she said no, um, because of the way Muslim prayer happens, um, you know, because it's very physical. And I didn't fully get this. I knew it was in lines, but I didn't understand that. You, you literally stand elbow to elbow, toe to toe. So if you and I are praying together and you know what you're doing and I don't and but we're physically touching each other, then my being off is going to ruin your prayer experience. So it made sense to not to not do it. But I was there with my friend Muhammad Joda, may his memory be for a blessing, um, one of the founders of um, the, the um, Islamic Society of North of uh, Denver. The, Denver Islamic Society, the Parker Road Mosque, Abu Bakr, um, and um, he took me aside and he says, and he said, just stand with me, um, take your shoes off, um, put your toes, ne- you know, touch touch my toe with your toe and touch my elbow with your elbow, and then just follow me. And he showed me how the physical part of the prayer went. Um, and a couple of other pieces uh, that I would need to know, and and so and he said, "Do it with me if you want." Um, so I actually was the only person in that whole group who actually went in to the middle of the men's section and and prayed with him, and and it was quite something for me to say, "Allahu Akbar," God is great, and then I also said, Adonai Ha Elohim," God is God and you know and and when they went into into prayers that i didn't know i just said okay what are the jewish prayers for this time of day and whatever i don't remember what came to my mind but that's what i do whenever i do this to this day is that i just think of well what are my prayers and i just say them because everyone's saying their own prayers so yeah so that was that was uh it was very powerful. So, what was it, a month ago that the massacre happened in New Zealand? Yeah. And there was a gathering at Abu Bakr at, at Muhammad Joda's mosque uh, on Parker Road. And um, they did this whole vigil of remembrance thing. And then they asked the visitors to leave because it was time for the evening prayers. They said, so you can go out into the you know social hall and have food. And, and everyone else is kind of, our community is coming in to pray evening prayers now. Um and I thought, well, I don't need to leave, and and I'm standing next to one of the former imams of the mosque, and and I said, do you mind? And he knows me, and I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And he's and he just sort of looked at me and said, okay. And so I was actually able to stay and do my evening prayers intermixed with their prayers. Um, so for me, that's now that's my experience of deep ecumenism. Um, I don't think it has to play out that way for everybody. Um, Though I have to say, if your kids can say Shema (laughs) and, and, and get us, you know, obviously they're young at this point, but, and get a sense of what that means, that it means it's all God. Mm -hmm. That's deep ecumenism too.
3: Yeah. And I, I've, I've been of the mindset because I'm, I'm this progressive Christian who's, as Janelle and I will say, go into hell, if there is a hell.
2: It'll be fun there.
3: That I want to open up my children to common, good, collaborative religions and to say, well, we are, we are Christian in our household. I mean, you can choose whatever you want, but I'm not going to uh, be afraid to expose you to right. things that I think are good.
0: Don't be afraid. Yeah. That is, To me, that is about as countercultural as you get yeah. from mainstream religion. Don't be afraid. Be afraid joyfully, lovingly, forget the sin crap, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, and
3: Caroline's at that I, age now, so my oldest daughter, for those that don't know, she's, she's six, six and a half, she'll say, six and a half, mm-hmm. ending kindergarten. And she's very much like, well, Dad, uh, how come we don't celebrate the Persian New Year? And my friend Mila does. Well, Dad, how, I mean, so she's wanting to know. I mean, I go, well, you know, that's not our tradition, but you're, you're, you're fine to explore that, that's okay. Whereas I think maybe some of us grew up with that mindset of your parents have said, no, don't even explore it. Don't even, you know, because it's, um, you know, (laughs) lean not on your own understanding there, Josh. (laughs) There it is again.
0: (laughs) Well, that's interesting because I haven't met a lot of people doing this, but I've Raised my daughter the same way. Um, She came with us, with our friends, to their to St. John's Cathedral for Easter and Christmas services, and we did dinners at their house. And she's been with me to the mosque, and she knows what it's like to, you know. And I could, and 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 it was again, it 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 was a hurdle I had to get over. But I was at some event at the mosque with my daughter. She was, I don't know, ten years old at the time. To and and I left her with hundreds of people at the mosque, you know, and I went into one room and she went somewhere else. And, but she knows that she knows that she's Jewish. She knows what Jewish sacred space is, but she also feels comfortable in other people's sacred spaces. And I, I think that that's, um, it's a small tikkun, a small healing of the world that we can do.
3: I mean, I'm curious, like where have we all experienced that, uh, that safe to use that word safe, trustworthy, just good, space that's outside of your own tradition.
0: Other than the Parliament of World Religions? Other than that, yes. (laughs) Yeah,
3: other than that. I mean, and I I can even say, I mean, going back to my daughter Caroline, taking her to even, you know, one of your Passover gatherings a year ago, I felt incredibly safe and secure and and had this eager anticipation of my daughter's going to learn something. And while I I know some aspects of Judaism, and obviously I've known you for a couple years now, um, it was even new for me too, so to learn along with her. I mean, i I thank nice. you for inviting us into that space.
0: nice.
2: We were invited into a family's house for Passover for many years when we were crazy fundamentalist evangelicals. <laughs> and yet they invited us in, and they let us not drink wine and and um, oh, I, I would say now, looking back that those meals are are a distinct part of this because that is where I learned that this this is safe and nothing bad is going to happen here, and I'm being welcomed in, and I need to meet you there. I can't just show up and watch. I need to be present because you you've could invited even, me,
0: and you could even do that from that place. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to be who you are now. You could still be in that evangelical traditional yep. place where you know how you could you could prove us all wrong about Passover, right?
2: What? <laughs> but- but here's the thing about when you listen but to But how the, powerful
0: is it to let to bring people in that way.
2: Well and you can't not listen to the Haggadah and not get it. And, and at first, when I first heard it, the first year or two, it was all about, Oh, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, and then it became well, Dianu. It would have been enough. And God rescued them. Hmm. And it became a lot, a lot less about what I was looking for and a lot yeah, more about what's really there. The,
3: it would have been enough is interesting, right? Because as Christians, you're saying, do we really believe that? Because ultimately, we want to get to that culmination of the yep. cross. Would it have been enough? And would it have been enough for any faith tradition? I mean, Judaism's evolved since then as well. Yeah. What is enough anyway?
2: <laughs> well, this right here could be enough. If we would live in it.
1: I, I was going to say, I didn't experience it until brew theology. Um, when I left my faith tradition, I went to a Hebrew roots group and um, studied in a synagogue with with um, and learned about the Torah and the, the Jewish roots of my faith for two years. And that was amazing, and it changed my faith in a way that I'll always be um, grateful for. And but it wasn't until I came to brew theology that I actually felt that it's enough. <laughs> what where I'm at is enough. And and honestly, when, like a couple of weeks ago when we had um, our topic on the Bahai faith, I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. But at the end of the day, it was another religion. And. And as much as I loved everything they were about, I that was my one hang up was it was just another group, another well to that I could be a part of. Um, But this to me is just a concept. It's a concept that anybody can adopt. And at first I was very resistant to the fact that I could adopt it, but I really do feel like it's not reserved for a specific group that it's it's a concept that we can all adopt and i really think that this concept is what's going to change the landscape of the way we we view religion in the world like in order for us to uh, to deal with issues like climate change like all these issues that are facing the world at large we have to tap into this because this seems to me this seems like the, the the doorway into how we can accomplish like community effort an effort of to which we could actually see real change and it, it's just encouraging so thank you for coming and sharing this with us tonight because it really is a concept that I think we all f- like resonated with and we all felt but um to have words to put to it and to see that there's other groups out there of people who are you know, are for this. It's, it's really encouraging,
2: yeah. I think the only way that we're going to successfully fight fascism and the growth of, of discrimination is when we do this and are able to stand up together and say, no, we are not letting the world go back there. We're not going to do it. Because um, alone, it's easy to throw us all into jail. But if we're all together, that becomes a much bigger issue.
0: Interesting. The, the talk I didn't give, uh, based on David Hartman's, Daniel Hartman, not David, that was his father, Daniel Hartman's book, uh, Putting God Second, Saving Religion from Itself, what he, what he talks about in that book is that um, what religion tends to do is make everything subservient to a God that you better obey which usually gets distorted, and we're not really obeying God's word anymore. So, you know, and that's why I said, you know, I don't think Jesus actually said that. I think when you look at at the roots of these faith traditions, they don't say people are bad, they don't say people are sinful, they don't, it's about joy and love and connection and compassion and taking care of God's earth. That's what's at the core of of all faith traditions. Yeah. Um, and, and and we have to get a, we have to watch out for the the hierarchies, usually the patriarchal hierarchies that get stuck in there um, that start to tell us no you're better you're going to go to hell and you're going to go to heaven and this is better than that and um, that's where religion really can actually become a force for something not so good on this planet
1: which is why I I, I really, like, I'm convinced we should change the metaphor from the mountain to the river because it really takes us away from that and takes us to a place of where do we all connect? Like, where can we all find, find that grounding, find that, that thing that connects us all? You know, and instead of having a destination that we have to figure out if we're on the same path, we just look for that same path because it's clear that we all have something that we, that, that connects us all.
0: I strongly recommend, um, as, you know, I don't know how he's seen in your guys' world, but Matthew Fox, he's still alive and well and does amazing work. And uh, there's a, there are, um, Creation Spirituality is the name of his, like there's communities of Creation Spirituality all there are here in Colorado as well. And I would check him out, because, I mean, he's coming... He's coming from a deeply Christian place and exploding it in, in beautiful ways, really beautiful ways.
2: Yeah. Love we'll to do that. Twitter him and see if he'll
0: come on. Where does he live? Uh, California, but he comes, there, he comes here every once in a while.
3: It's okay. We, we can probably get him on on Zoom or something. Yeah. Go, Go for it, Ryan. <laughs> yeah.
2: You're... All right. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. And your presence. Yeah. We appreciate it. And
3: if, if you are listening right now, share this online. That's how we get listeners. That's how people get in touch with deep ecumenism. One River Many Wells by Matthew Fox and Rabbi Stephen Boot How if people have any questions, are you open to questions? Where can people find you? Are you on Twitter? I know you're on Facebook, but you're not very you're not super active. You're yeah, but but you're there. <laughs>
0: Well, we could it, give it away and just say I'm 64 years old. So, <laughs> so no way I'm getting on Twitter. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my daughter is safe on on uh, on Snapchat. <laughs> yep. um, um, the website's going to get redone soon. Um, it's pretty outdated at the moment, but the contact information is still accurate. Um, my little project is called Wisdom House Denver. So you can go to wisdomhousedenver.org, and you can find my contact information there.
2: Yeah. Okay, we'll say something about Passover. We'll move it up into P.S. the P.S. We have a little P.S. about Passover.
0: Well, it's interesting, because some people think, you know, Passover is kind of over after the Seders, and that's certainly the big draw. Um, but Passover is, depending on how, what tradition you follow, a seven- or eight-day festival. Um, it's right in the Torah that... Um, it you're not supposed to eat leavened bread or own uh, leavened bread products for that time um and um these days are called the uh, we say i think i said this to you before moadim Lassimcha. um so these intermediate days of passover that we are in tonight mm-hmm. is a time to um be joyful um Judaism's basically about be joyful um <laughs> but um but I guess the message that I would want to, I think Passover, the message of Passover is really the central message of Judaism in many ways, because it's the story of the Exodus from Egypt. And what it says is, you know the heart of the stranger, so you do not oppress the stranger. You befriend the stranger because you know what it's like to be powerless and oppressed. And so my prayer for all of us from this Passover of the year 5779 in the Hebrew calendar um, is that we all open our hearts to those who are oppressed at this time, and we act to relieve suffering. That's what we're here for.
3: Fantastic. So uh, obviously we are at brewtheology.org. We're on Twitter, Brew underscore Theology, Instagram, and Facebook, Brew Theology. And yeah, keep brewing. Yeah. This is great.
2: Cheers. Thanks again. Cheers.
3: Happy Passover.